Well, thank you once again for coming. Uh, We're looking at the second part of parental responsibilities, particularly discipline. Uh, Last week we talked about the first part of discipline, uh, that discipline must be shaped by the nature of your children, um, that your children are made in the image of God, and so there's a certain amount of of honor that they need to be shown, obviously. Um, Nature of their children, that they have existed, and they, I'm sorry, they will exist for eternity. So there's much more than just this life at stake. Um, And so it's not merely behavior that we are trying to to change, but we are instruments in God's hands um, to help change their heart, um, bring them to the gospel. Um, We need to have kind of a paradigm shift in how we think of our parenting from just getting our children to obey to looking at these discipline opportunities as golden opportunities on a platter that the Lord has given us to present the good news of Jesus Christ. These, the, the sin patterns in your kid's life, the disobedience that God allows um, in your home are God-given opportunities for you to connect uh, that sin to the heart and the fact that their heart needs to be changed by God um, alone. And that's a gospel opportunity because the next nature of your children that we looked at is that they are sinners, just like you and me from a heart level. Our children are sinners and they desperately need Jesus Christ just like we do. We also saw that Discipline must be shaped by God's discipline of his children, that we need to follow God's example, um, that he disciplines faithfully, um, consistently, lovingly, um, and he uses a variety of ways to do that, and so, so can we. Um, and then last, we saw that um, discipline must be shaped by the warnings and exhortations of Scripture, that we are not to neglect to discipline our children when they are young, those formative years, uh, you know, toddler, preschool, early elementary, late elementary, into their teenage years, we need to discipline our children, particularly with the rod, when they are young. That we're not to, to uh, provoke our children to wrath or to anger, that we need to do this in a way that honors the Lord and is helpful for our kids. And then we left off recognizing that the rod is the primary means that God has given you to discipline your children. The rod is the primary way, particularly in corrective discipline, in response to sin, corrective discipline when they are young. The rod is the primary means. We saw that there is more to discipline than just this, that the rod is accompanied by um, instruction and reproof, but the rod is a key part of it. References um, to the rod can be metaphorical and include other forms of discipline, but Scripture presents the rod or physical discipline as the primary means. You have a list of Proverbs there. I'm just not going to read them all, but just a few of them. Proverbs 10, 13. On the lips of the discerning, wisdom is found, but a rod is for the back of him who lacks understanding. Proverbs 23, 13 to 14. Do not hold, discipline, do not hold back discipline from the child. Although you strike him with the rod, clearly physical discipline, he will not die. You shall strike him with the rod and rescue his soul from Sheol. Proverbs 26.3, a whip is for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the back of fools. All clearly references to physical discipline. Ted Tripp says this, he says, The rod is a parent in faith toward God and faithfulness towards his or her children, undertaking the responsibility of careful, timely, measured, and controlled use of physical punishment, to underscore the importance of obeying God, 
thus rescuing the child from continuing in his foolishness until death. So that's, that's our job, right? We are on a rescue mission, and one of the tools that God has given us to, to help us with that is the rod of discipline. So what I want to do today um, is walk through a series of questions first related to the rod to see how we can do this faithfully, to get a clear picture of how hopefully we can do this faithfully as parents. So the rod of discipline, first question, why don't people use the rod of discipline? Why don't people use the rod of discipline? Well, there are many articles and other information as to why this is not a good idea. Reasons given not to use the rod include, and there are more, that it can be emotionally scarring, that it's defined as abuse. You know, if you redefine spanking as abuse, the last thing that we want to do as parents is abuse our kids, and so we wouldn't, want it, we wouldn't do that. If you redefine spanking as abuse, but, you know, we shouldn't define it as that. Some say that it represses the child's personality and creativity. Um, again, done improperly, that could happen. We don't want to repress, we want to, to kind of allow our, our child's personality and creativity to thrive. Um, and so some say that, that spanking represses that. Others say it, it teaches them to hit. Others say it just doesn't work. And sometimes all of these things are, they're right about these. They're right about that because they're done, spanking is done incorrectly. Maybe you had a bad experience with spanking when you were growing up and it makes this difficult for you. When done wrong, it's not helpful. It can be ineffective. And so we need to make sure that we are spanking correctly, administering the rod correctly, centered on Christ and centered on the gospel, removing our anger and, and our you know, whatever our child has done to us from the equation. Others say they don't spank because they love their children too much. And again, this objection is easy to understand. You don't want to cause your child discomfort. One of the most difficult things that Beth and I do is spank our kids. You feel, you do, you feel as much as though you love them too much to cause them physical harm. But biblically, as we saw last week, what's wrong with that statement is that discipline is loving. Discipline administered correctly is um, love manifested. Proverbs 13, 24 says, He who withholds the rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. Withhold the rod and you hate your son. Now, hate here is not enmity. It's not as though you have a revulsion towards your kids. No, it's, it's the fact that you love something else more and by um, contrast, it looks like hate. Even though you know how important it is, even though you know that the Bible says that you should do it and it is essential to your child's growth, you are willing to stunt your child's growth, keep folly bound up in his heart to make yourself more comfortable. Ted Tripp asks, he says, who benefits if you don't spank your kids? Surely not the child, because Scripture makes it clear that fa such failure places the child at risk. So who benefits? He answers, you do. You are delivered from the agony of causing discomfort, delivered from the inconvenience, and delivered from the loss of time that biblical discipline requires. Ultimately, if you're not consistently disciplining your child, it's a sign that you love yourself more than your child because you want what you want rather than be obedient to God and do what's best for your child. Do what God says is best for your child. Others say they don't discipline because it's never the right time. We're at church. My child is tired. He has allergies or whatever. 
Um, so when so much of the, wor- of the world says no, why do we do it? The world says no, why do we do it? Well, we do it because God says yes. So the next question is, why the rod as opposed to other forms of discipline? Why the rod as opposed to other forms of discipline? Last week we looked at Proverbs twenty-two fifteen, which says, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child and the rod of discipline will remove it from him. So the rod of correction or the rod of discipline removes foolishness from the heart of your child. And Proverbs 29, 15 says that the rod and reproof give wisdom. Okay, so scripture says that the rod of correction removes no fear of God from your child and imparts wisdom, imparts a fear of God, wise living, what we all want from our kids. And you'll notice that it is the rod and reproof. The rod always needs to be accompanied with instruction and reproof. Instructions, don't do this. I've told you not to do this. Here is what you need to do instead. This is not rushing in wordlessly, spanking your kids as a punishment, and then leaving the room. So quick question for you guys. If you don't spank, or even if you do spank, what are some other things, other forms of discipline that you might use? Or what other people use or whatever. What are some other forms of discipline? What's that? Timeout. Timeout. That's a good one. Yep. Timeout. What else? Taking away like time. Good. Yeah, withholding privileges, possessions, you know, something that they enjoy doing. Yeah, and, and those things are, you can do those, and those, those are good. There's other things that we can do. But there's several practical issues with those. Here's a few of them. One, they can drag out the timeline of discipline, which can lead to bitterness, right? Grounding for two weeks Uh, makes it difficult to be restored to a right relationship with your children while that discipline is still in effect. This is a two-week thing. You want to reconcile, but you've got, your child knows they have two weeks of the Nintendo that they love that they can't do, and so they're just unwilling to, to reconcile with that. Also, it requires obedience to fulfill those disciplines, such as timeouts, right? You say, go to your room for a timeout for 10 minutes. You sit in a chair for 10 minutes, and five minutes later, your child walks walks you know down the hall and you see them now what do you do make them sit for 20 minutes well they've already shown that they won't sit for 10 and so it takes obedience for them to um, be able to do that discipline they've already showed they won't do 10 now you're going to do 20 Um, another thing is some kids just really don't care they don't care about timeouts right they'll sit in their bed they'll daydream out the window maybe they'll fall asleep it's not a big deal to them like okay that's no problem at all well, that is why, in, a, in one way, shape, or form, spanking is beautiful, because it's quick. There's a clear resolution, an opportunity for reconciliation right away, and it's painful for all kids. The, kids that, the child that doesn't mind sitting in his room and staring out the window doesn't like to be spanked, right? All, that's a universal dislike for all of us, right? Nobody likes it. But ultimately, there's some, some practical ways that this form of discipline is better than other forms. But ultimately, the reason that we do this is out of obedience, because God tells us to do it. We don't need to understand why to obey this necessarily. I mean, the same way we, our children don't need to know why they need to obey us all the time. We read it in Scripture. It's a clear command in Scripture, and so we do it. Next question is, does that mean that I can never use other forms of discipline or consequences? And we've talked about this before, but the answer to that is no. It doesn't mean that at all. God used a variety and so can we. God disciplined with wilderness wandering for 40 years, corrective discipline, 70 years of captivity. 
He withheld important things like water and food, brought about drought and famine. Not that we should do that. You're not, you can't drink water for several days. No, we shouldn't do that. But God withheld things. He also brought about pestilence and calamity on the people so that they were uncomfortable and they recognized the blessing that they would have if they would obey him. Sometimes God would give them what they wanted. They're complaining about manna in the wilderness. They want meat, and so God gave them so much meat that they were choking on it, right? They gave them what they wanted um, just in a way that, that helped them understand that he had already provided all that they need. The bottom line is that when we're disciplining our kids, it needs to be unpleasant. And there are other things that we can do, particularly as your kids age, particularly if you have a, a, a very rebellious child. You need to think through how you can do this, how you can be creative in your discipline. You know, if you have a teenager that is constantly slamming the door, um, constantly locking his door and kind of putting himself in his room, you can remove the door. Right? Remove the temptation to do that and also take away that privilege. But whenever you're doing these things, think it through before threatening. Okay? Think it through before you issue that judgment because you need to ask several questions. Okay? Ask yourself, is this simply punitive? Am I just punishing him or is there a corrective element here? Okay? Am I focused on the heart? How is my heart before I'm doing this? What are the implications to the relationship going to be? Is this going to be a, a two-week battle that me and my child are going to have because of this? What are the implications on other people in the family? Not only is this going to hurt our relationship for two weeks, but this could potentially put our whole family in under a stress. You know, am I punishing my wife to enforce this new ingenious plan that I've came up with? All right, I'm going to go to work. You implement this thing all day today, right, for two weeks. So think through those things. You know, I once prescribed um, a month-long workout routine for one of my kids that had, you know, been dishonoring or whatever. And so I got, came up with this plan. This is ingenious, right? A month-long workout routine. He's got to get up early. He has to be done at a certain time. But then I realized that I have to get up at that time, and I have to make sure he's doing it and participate in this. So that was a dumb thing to do. And the other thing to think through is when you're a kid or even a teen, a month or even two weeks is an eternity. And when you're, when you're a kid, how long does it take for your birthday to come around? It's like it's never going to come, or Christmas, right? When you're older, things go by a lot quicker. But for a kid, though, that's a long period of time. And by the time you're halfway through it, neither you nor them even remember why they're di being disciplined in the first place. You're just building kind of resentment. So it's not that you can never do those things, but just think it through before you do that. Better typically, even with older kids, is something that's quick, a one-time kind of immediate discipline, such as no basketball game. You dishonored your mom. I've told you if you're dishonoring to your mom, you're not allowed, you're not going to be able to play in the basketball game, right? Or no friend's house. But even that, you know, especially with the basketball game, there's, there's other implications there, you know, to the team. Are you punishing the team and the coach and all these different things? You have to think through before you just issue these things. With, with young men, um, teenage boys, running, push-ups, planks, something that is painful, that is over quickly, something that will help them calm down, and then you can have that gospel conversation that you used to have when they were young. So those are the types of things that you need to think through. But again, talk it through with your spouse. Pray before you issue this thing. You know, really get some advice maybe from, on these other forms of discipline before you, before you say them. 
Next question. When should I use the rod? When should I use your rod? Well, I guess the quick answer is you should use the rod when your child disobeys, when they do not obey. When you have clearly communicated to your children what they should and should not do, again, keyword clearly, given a clear command that they understand, if they, if they disobey that, then they should be disciplined. Ephesians 6.1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise that it may be well with you and they may live long on the earth. So two kind of commands there for your kids, obey and honor, right? There's the action and the attitude and discipline for both or either. You know, to obey means to hear under, meaning your children are to listen intently under your authority, sitting under your authority as parents, and then they are to respond positively to your command. Um, this word for obey in Ephesians 6, 1 is the same word used to describe a slave's obedience to their master in Ephesians 6, 5. Okay, so in the same way that a slave, an owned slave, is required to do what the master says without talking back, it just does it, the, the, the slave just does it, that's how your child is to obey. It's also used in Hebrews 5, 9 for our obedience to Christ. How would you obey the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords if he was here right now and gave you a command? Would you talk back? Probably not. You would jump up and you would do it right away. That's how we are to obey God. That's how we are to obey his commands in scripture. That's the same way that your children are to obey you. Um, again, Tripp's definition is good of obedience. Obedience is the willing submission of one person to the authority of another. It means more than a child doing what he is told. It means doing what he is told without challenge, without excuse, and without delay without challenge, without excuse, and without delay. So if you're taking notes, it's not on your notes, but write on your notes and underline it and highlight if you have a highlighter, first-time obedience. That is what we're after, first-time obedience. Okay, when your children are small, toddler age, preschool age, th there's a safety aspect here. There's a safety element that your kids need to understand that when you say stop, they stop. It doesn't mean when I say stop three or four times because it's too late. You've already run into the road. Your children need to know that your command is to be followed right away. Stop means stop. Come means to come here now. Those types of things. Um, typically, a child will test your commands. You know, you may tell them not to touch an electrical outlet. You see them kind of eyeing this thing, and they're, they're interested in it, right? Because kids are inquisitive, and they're over there sitting. And so you proactively go up, and you tell them, no, you're not allowed to touch that. No. Right? Your children understand that. Take them by the hand, lead them away, get them involved in something else, and then sit back and watch. And typically, a lot of times, your child will kind of make their way back over to that outlet, right? <laughs> and they'll look at you, and you're kind of watching out of the corner of your eye, and they'll look at you, and they look back at the outlet a couple of times, and then what do they do? They reach out to touch it, right? That is, you know, a mischievous thing. Some people think that that's cute, it's not cute, right? That needs to be disciplined, right? They need to know that you have said no, and if they disobey, there's going to be a sting on their behind, okay? And so there's a safety element here. They need to know that your word is to obey, be obeyed right now, and better a momentary sting than a charred hand or a, a, a car crash or something like that, and I think we understand that. As your kids get older, you know, they need to learn to obey right away without delay. They've already, they've, you've been teaching them that, right? 
You don't need to hear about what they think of it. I don't really care. You know, what they, I, don't th- I don't care if you cleaned your room last Tuesday, right? I'm telling you to do it now, okay? So they need to obey without delay, without excuse, and without, or without challenge. Um, and why do we do this? Why are we teaching them this, even when they're older? Because that's how we are to obey God. That's how they are to obey God. Yes? So as far as when, what age do you stop actually using the rod? Like teenagers or? Yeah, that, that's in here. Just a few minutes. We'll get to that. Yeah. I keep saying that. We're going to get to it. We're going to get to it. We're going to get to it. We will get to that one. I promise you. Okay? Okay, so don't get in the habit of raising your voice, you know, so your child knows, oh, that's the, the decibel level that now I need to obey. Started here, and it's ratcheted up now. Now I need to obey. You're just training your child to disobey until you get loud, right? Don't get in the habit of repeating yourself. Jolene, if I have to tell you again, you're going to get it, right? Again, you're training them to disobey until you issue that final kind of command. Don't manipulate your child. Gus, I'm going to count to three, and if you don't come here, you're going to get it. But if you come, I'll give you a popsicle. If you come right now, I'll give you this treat. You're training your child to obey to a two count or disobey to a two count and if they really hold back they're going to get something and a treat right no we are training first time obedience if you are repeating yourself you are training your child to disobey you for the first few times so children are trained to respond and the bible calls us to train them to respond the first time when they're younger we can help model that obedience by saying no and then take them by the hand and lead them away Get them involved in something else. Lead them away from what we want them not to do or to touch. You know, harshness is not necessary. You don't need to raise your voice. You're always under control. That's a fruit of the Spirit, right? Everything that we do is shaped and modeled by Christ. We're always under control. We don't need to raise our voice. But the desire is obedience. And it's not to say we can't help to train our younger children to obey. You know, take your child by the hand and lead them away like we talked about. You know, you can um, remind them and ask them about their obedience. Juliet, are you, are you choosing to obey the, the first time? If there's a command that you know a particular child has a difficulty following, they just don't like doing this thing that you're about to tell them. It's not a good sales tech, tech, uh, tactic, but you can say, hey, I'm about to tell you something that you're not going to like, okay? I'm going to give you a command that I know you don't like, but I want you to learn, think about how you're supposed to respond. You need to be honoring. You need to obey the first time. Now I want you to go upstairs and clean the bathroom or whatever, okay? And you know, like you're wise, you're discerning, you're thinking through these things, setting your kids up for success. You want them to obey the first time. And so if there's something particular that you're gonna tell them that they don't like, you know, be clear, give that command, but do it wisely. Um, Next question. When should I not use the rod? When should I not use the rod? Several things. Don't use the rod when you're angry or frustrated even when it would otherwise be appropriate. There's going to be times that you have to deal with your heart. There's going to be times that, that you have, have angrily told your child to get into my room, you're going to get spanked. And you've, you've, you've done that in a way that is harsh, and you've, you've been angry with them. And that conversation looks totally different. Because rather than going there to spank them, you have to sit down and you have to ask them to forgive you for your angry heart. Okay, so never, don't spank your kids when you're angry or frustrated. Deal with your own heart first. Always be self-controlled. When should you not use the rod? Well, don't use the rod for instances of foolishness. You know, spilling the milk. Yes? When you, I made that mistake of getting mm-hmm. too frustrated and 
Ja. No, I, I totally understand. Um, you have to use your discernment, you know, but typically the way I have handled that type of situation is now I'm just instructing them. I'm using that as a model of forgiveness. Like, I'm a sinner too. I need Jesus just like you did. You've sinned. You need Christ. Christ has forgiven me, so let's just pray together, and I ask you to forgive me and just let it go at that point. You know, you use that as an opportunity to put on display that God is a forgiving God and God will give you another opportunity um, to discipline them. And that's, there's no, there's no problem there. Um, so, when to not use the rod of discipline, when, for instance, the foolishness, right? Spilled milk, right, is, is clumsiness. We don't discipline for clumsiness. But disobedience, so if, you're, if you told your child, hey, don't get the milk out of the refrigerator, and they get the milk, and they pull it down, and it's spilled all over them, that's being disobedient, right? So it's the difference between uh, disobedient and childishness. We're not gonna, going to use the rod, we should not use the rod, for instances of clumsiness or childishness, okay? But it's funny. Accidents, childish behavior sometimes can frustrate us even more than sinful behavior, and so that's wrong. We need to be, make sure that we are recognizing what is childishness and what is sinfulness. Um, and we're not reacting more strongly because of a loss of patience um, to that childish behavior than we would for a sin. Don't spank um, for lack of understanding or inability, right? Make sure that you understand your two-year-old doesn't know how to make his bed, right? Just a silly example there, but you can't expect them to do that. Don't spank when you have given an unclear command. Okay, make sure that your commands are, are very clear, all right? So if you tell your kids to calm down, for example, you have in your mind what calm down means. In their mind, they are running around the house playing, you know, cops and robbers like crazy, and when you say calm down, they start wrestling quietly. Well, they're calmer, right? But your command of calm down meant something different to them than it meant for you. And so it doesn't always have to be like an exact do this, this, and this, um, and, and you'll have to use your discernment on whether your child is just manipulating you or not, but make sure you're issuing uh, better commands, such as it's time to sit down and read a book for 30 minutes. Okay, here's your book, here's your book, here's your chair, here's your chair. You need to sit there and do that for 30 minutes or however long you need to do that. So it's not calm down, it's here's a specific thing that you must do, and it's very clear if they don't do that that they're disobeying your command. Um, and so there's no ambiguity there. It kind of takes that off the table. Um, and then, do not use the rod of discipline when you are not 100% sure of their guilt. Make sure that you are 100% sure of their guilt. And as we've talked about before, if you're not 100% sure, and for Beth and I, I, I probably shouldn't talk for her necessarily, but I think I can because we talk. Um, lying in particular is very difficult sometimes to discern, like, what happened. Right? And so if you don't know for sure with 100% certainty that your child has lied to you, because there's some ambiguity there, then I, we do not use the rod of discipline for that. Again, we are patient. We explain to them. I'll, I'll explain to them about lying, that something that God hates. All liars will have their, their part in the lake of fire, you know, those types of things. And just wait for another opportunity. God will give you another opportunity for you when you're 100% certain that this has happened. 
now you can discipline your child. And then you may not discipline when there's already a natural consequence, such as a burned hand or a broken arm or something like that. Um, our oldest daughter once, we had a wading pool up in Idaho, and in Idaho, there's a very short window when you can actually get in the water and have fun. It's very long winters, and so in the summer, I mean, it's just like you're, you want to be all in on this summer activity. So we had this wading pool in the back of our, uh, in our backyard, and our oldest daughter wanted that all to herself. And so she lied to her little siblings and said, hey, mom has some cookies inside, okay? And so the, the kids liked the cookies more than the pool, and so they ran inside. As soon as they jumped out of the wading pool, Annabelle jumped into the wading pool, slipped, fell, and broke her arm. And so we took her to the emergency room, and this all kind of came out in the emergency room, and she's sitting there with her arm. It's all like weird, you know? And so, you know, I took her home and spanked her. No, I didn't. I was like, <laughs> that, that was a natural consequence. She kind of understood. She told us what happened. She confessed, and she's like, this is what happened. It's like, okay, that's, that's good. We're, we're good. She understands that. Okay, so those are some, some ways, some, some reasons you should maybe not use the rod. Now the big question, how should you use the rod? You know, multiple times I've said the rod administered correctly, right? Um, it, it brings fruit of righteousness. Um, but how do we do that? How do we administer this correctly in a way that would glorify God and be fruitful and helpful to our kids and not do some of the things that, that people are afraid of? You know, if you ask again people why people don't do this, typically it's because they've had a bad experience with it themselves. Um, they were spanked in an unbiblical way. Um, and so they, they had a bad model of this and they just don't want that for their kids. It wasn't helpful with the way that it was done. So they say things like spanking doesn't work. I don't spank because it doesn't work. I'm afraid I, my kids will be scared of me. I'm afraid I will injure them. I'm afraid it will teach them to hit. I'm afraid of being arrested for child abuse. You know, all valid concerns, particularly if your view of spanking is of a grown man towering over a scared child and spanking them, lashing out at them in anger. But administered correctly, those fears are reduced or eliminated. So Proverbs 23, 14 says that you are to strike them. But how do we do that best? How do we do that in a way that is fruitful and avoid potential negative results? Well, here are a few important things to keep in mind. Now, this is a suggested model for wise gospel-centered spanking. A suggested model for wise gospel-centered spanking. I'm repeating that, and it's very specific because the Bible tells us to do this, but it doesn't tell us exactly what it looks like and how to do it. But by inferring from other scripture, right, how we are to walk in the Spirit, always under self-control, always being kind and gentle and loving, we put those together and we can get a model of how we do this well, influenced by the Spirit with a heart towards the gospel and a heart towards our children's heart. So, first, consider if discipline is needed and can be appropriately administered. Okay, so ask yourself some question. Was there a clear act of disobedience? Did I, did I give a clear command? Was, uh, was there a clear act of disobedience? Ask yourself, am I angry? Am I angry? Am I offended on how their sin affected me or how it affects God? What is my main motivation here? Am I upset just because of this thing that now I can't do or I'm offended that they would do that to me? How dare they do that to me? Or is this because um, of how it affect, offends God? Ask, am I able to administer discipline without humiliation? Where am I at? Can I do this in a way that's helpful? Am I prepared 
to direct them to the hope of the gospel? Is my heart right? Am I prepared to forgive them if their sin was against me? So those are some questions that you can ask. And you need to do, as we look to do this correctly, and as we do that, we look to do this correctly, um, there's some, some things that we need, okay? So we need the correct temperament. We need the correct temperament, and it's never in anger. Yes? Yes, they will. Yeah, sorry, that was really quick there, but. Um, correct temperament, never in anger. Okay, Proverbs 29, 11 says, fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. You're not a fool. You don't need to vent your rage on your child, right? A wise person will be calm. James 1.20 says, man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Your goal here is to present the gospel in a way that's unique to your child. You cannot do that if you are angry. Man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. So deal with your heart first. This is not about you. Just completely divorce yourself from the fact that your child has offended you. This is not about you. This is a God-given opportunity for gospel ministry. Anger muddies the water of discipline, though. Yes? What was the verse you used for that? That was uh, James one twenty and Proverbs 29.11. Don't look at your child's disobedience as an affront to you but it's a sin against God and an opportunity for you to share the good news of the gospel. And you can't do that if you've squandered the opportunity because of your anger. Losing your self-control. So never spank your child when you're angry because when you're angry, you're typically not self-control, which is the next thing. Always have the correct control. You know, you read through the Bible and the Bible puts a premium on self-control. The man or the woman that is under control. Proverbs 16, 32, better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. Think about the, the warrior that can, that can take a city and defend is, is an important person, but better is the person that is self-controlled. And that is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Self-control is the mark of a mature man, the mark of a mature woman. So don't lose your control. Always stay under control. When you're under control, you're going to put your child at ease. You do not want your child afraid of you. You want your child to feel the sting of those swats and then quickly embrace you because you're safe. You're under control. So we need the correct control, and we also need the correct consistency. We looked at Proverbs 13, 24. It says, he who, dis who, who, he who loves his child disciplines him diligently. Diligent means that you seek out an opportunity and you seize the opportunity when it's there, but it also carries the idea of consistency. Okay, so have spanking offenses that your children know about in advance, lying, willful disobedience, destructive behavior, you know, sexual immorality, whatever it is in your house that you have explained to your child, like these are against the rules and they're really all disobedience. Lying is disobe disobeying God's word. Lying is disobeying you because you've told them not to do that. But specific things that your child knows about. And when those sins are committed, you can deal with them consistently and your child doesn't have to wonder what's gonna happen if I do this. So we need the correct consistency. We also need the correct age. Now, I'm not gonna give you the exact age. You know, um, when your child, children are very young, this looks differently, like infant age. And we'll kind of talk about that a little bit here in a minute. 
But spanking in a more formal sense should begin when they're old enough to know why they are being spanked. When they're old enough to know why that, that they're being spanked. And it's earlier than you think, right? Your child is very um, smart, right? They know when they're disobeying you. So those toddler ages. Um, what about when my kids get older, right? It is when they get older, it's appropriate tra- to transition to other forms of discipline and natural consequences. Yes? Yes. Having that be an ignorance rather than in defiance. It's, it's hard to tell, but it's, it's, you have to use your discernment. You have to just know your child. And, you know, in that, that example that I gave of looking at the outlet and back at you, that child knows that they're not supposed to do that, right? Because they're, they're seeing if you're looking, it's those types of things. And once they've kind of put that together, then you know from then on out that, that it's an obedience issue. So be intuitive, um, and it's usually younger than you think, you know, that, that they're starting to understand that. Um, when, is it, when is the age that you should stop spanking? When should you stop spanking? Well, it varies kid to kid. For us, it was in kind of those tween years, you know, between 11 and 13-ish. Um, I, don't, I don't know that we ever spanked a kid that was 13, but those tween, tween years... When it's becoming an embarrassment, right? When they stop having that soft moment that happens after you spank and it just is building resentment. It doesn't result in a soft heart, but rather a hardening of the heart. And stop basically when it's no longer fruitful. And for, again, for us, it was in those kind of tween years. But again, you're gonna have to use your discernment on that. Every child is different. And so you'll, you'll kind of um, do that child to child. Okay, so you need the correct age. You also need the correct judgment. Proverbs 18.13 says, He who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. Okay, so we talked about this already. You need to make 100% sure of the guilt of your child before you spank them. If there's a reasonable doubt, then let it go. And pray for another opportunity, and God will give that to you. Guaranteed. Um, But when you are 100% sure, then you take advantage of that, and you do this um, um, correctly. So, administering the spanking. So, Kind of a clear delineation here between inspired scripture and experience. This is some of the stuff that, that we have found to be wise, but you know, you're going to have to use your discernment on these things. What is the correct instrument? Correct instrument. So the scripture says the rod, which is a stick or a rod or a cane. Okay, that's what that word means. Ultimately, it's really something other than your hand. Now, there are differing opinions on this, but according to scripture, according to this, it, the rod is a stick, a rod, or a cane. And so we have found that those work better than the hand. Why is it better? Well, it, it puts, the point is to sting, right? The point is to, it's supposed to be painful, but you don't want to damage or hurt your child. So you want the right amount of pain with the right amount of force. And this also, and the hand is hard to do that, honestly. And this is more effective to the goal to use an instrument. It forces you also to be thoughtful and patient. You know, you're less likely to, to just, you know, a reactive swat on the behind with your hand, which is ineffective, if you have to stop and go get an instrument. You have to get your heart right. You have to find this thing, which might cause some frustration if you're, you know, looking around for it. But it, gives, it takes time. You have to get the right instrument, and then you have to take it uh, into that room. Again, the idea is to sting, not cause any kind of damage. Now, we've found that the best instrument was a paddle ball paddle 
So you know those paddle balls that you can hit like three times with the ball and then it, it, you can't do it more than three, so it's a worthless, worthless toy? <laughs> we have found that it's not a very fun toy, but it is a, an effective instrument for spanking for a couple reasons. It has a large surface area, right? It has the appropriate amount of sting, but it's not going to leave a mark, okay? Because so it, it has that larger surface area. But use your discernment. We've also found like a flat, not blunt, but flat, thin spoon uh, works well. You're not after a bruise. You're not wanting to leave a lasting mark. You're wanting to sting and have that sting go away. As your kids get older, you might need to reevaluate that because that paddle might not pack quite enough sting to it. Um, but yeah, those things work good. Obviously, take the ball off, take the string out, and remove the staple. Remove the staple, right. Um, so you need the correct instrument. Okay, you also need the correct location, both on the body, which is the rear end, and the place where this is going to take place, right? You need a private location, perhaps the bathroom or, a, or your bedroom, not a public place. You want to avoid humiliation. You're not doing this in public. You're not doing this in front of anybody else. This is a private act between a parent and a child. We don't want to humiliate them, okay? And there's going to be times that you're going to have to overlook the sins of your children, especially when they're young, when you're in a public place because you don't want to be spanking them in a public place. Um, Beth and I have left groceries in the cart and gone home because our children at the grocery store are acting up. And there's a short window that you can take advantage of this. And honestly, when your kids are small and they're acting up at the grocery store, by the time you get home, they're, they're not thinking about this anymore. And so there's times that you're just going to have to let this go and again, wait for the Lord to give you another opportunity. You know, when your kids are younger, there's diminishing returns the farther away you get from the incident. Um, and so you need to, to think about that. Older kids are more likely to remember. You know, they know that you've, ex- you've trained them how to act in the grocery store, and they repeatedly disobeyed you, and so when they get home, they're well aware of why they're getting the spanking because you're explaining that to them. As far as location on the body, um, if your child's in diapers, there's a thick part of the leg that's like a perfect thing to spank, um, and otherwise, you know, the rear end. And I think I've got it in here. Yeah, I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, and so we need the correct communication, okay? Ask your kids, do you know why we're doing this? Do you even, do you know why that we're here and, and gonna be spanking? Well, yeah, because I lied or because I disobeyed or whatever. And that's right. And every time you lie, you deserve to be spanked because God hates lying. And my job as your parent is to help you understand and not do the things that God hates because it will destroy your life because it leads to um, death. Correct communication. You need to explain how many swats that your child can expect and don't go beyond that. Again, you are under control. You are under control. You are calm. So you explain how many swats your child is going to get and then you don't go beyond that. Um, if and when your child is unable to or unwilling to assume the position, which for us was two hands on the kitchen counter or two hands on the bed, just because you do not want to, you don't want them blocking, right? That because it can actually damage their hand and now you've got a problem. So two hands on the bed or on the kitchen counter or the bathroom counter. Um, and if they're unwilling to do that, you know, we have said you must obey now. If you obey now, you're getting three swats. If you do not obey now, you're getting five or however many. And it doesn't take them long to figure out that five is worse than three. It's going to happen anyways. And so 
you know, if you have a particularly hard-headed hard, hard or stiff-necked child, they may bucket that, and you need to follow through with giving them more swats. But they'll figure it out pretty quick. And next, we need the correct force. Again, the point is to sting, not to harm or injure. Use enough force that the sting in the moment and then the pain is gone and doesn't linger. Okay, so two or three good swats is much better than 15 in, uh, um, worthless ones. Okay, so, so you want to make it sting, but be careful without, that you really don't want to leave a lasting mark. Another thing to think about is whether or not to spank over diapers. Beth and I have never really done that. If you think about the amount of force that it would take to actually sting over a diaper, you need to swing that hard enough to where it could actually damage um, the, the kid. So you don't want to do that. So the fat part of the leg is good for spanking. You, again, you want to sting and not damage. So it's, it's using the correct force with the correct instrument will, will get that sting that you're after. Next, you need the correct follow-up. Right? And this is vitally important. Okay? Remember, you are on a rescue mission, and the rescue mission is not complete. You're part of it. And you can't save your child, but you can be faithful. Your faithfulness is not complete until you've had the correct follow-up. And depending on your child, wait for them to calm down. Might take a couple of minutes. If they're in there throwing a fit, then you've got, that's, that's a problem, right? You have to deal with that. But wait for them to calm down. But some of the most fruitful, soft-hearted, gospel-centered conversations that we have had with our kids is directly following when we have disciplined them. So ask, do you understand why you were spanked? Because you have a heart that is inclined towards sin and inclined toward rebel, rebellion against God. And the most important job that God has given me as your dad is to, to help turn your heart from sin to Christ. And just like I need Christ, I need my sins forgiven, so do you. Christ has forgiven me of all my sins, and just like Christ forgives you, forgives me of all my sins, if you repent and trust in him, he will remove your sins as far as the east is from the west, and he will forgive you as if it never happened. And so tell them, I am happy to forgive you. Pray with them, hug them. And you know, this is gonna take some time and that's part of, the, part of it. You know, you're gonna be, you wanna be fruitful. You want to have this as a gospel opportunity. And so you need to have the correct follow-up. If they have sinned against someone else, then they should go and, and reconcile with them if at all possible. Um, if they were disciplined because they didn't do something, like pick up their toys or make their bed or whatever it is that you instructed them to do, then walk with them. Make sure that they follow through with that. And then it's over. It's completely reconciled. Your relationship is completely back intact. Welcome them back in. Let it go. They're back in the family. You know, take the time to get the bowl of ice cream or whatever just so that they know, like, this is not lingering. It's over and done with. God forgives us, removes our sin in Christ and you are forgiven. Um, again, this is a suggested model of wise gospel-centered spanking, but we need to, to administer that correctly if we're gonna use the rod of correction. And again, don't forget, God uses a variety, and so can we. You know, we can also, um, you know, involve rewards or blessings. You know, God did this. You read Deuteronomy 28, Leviticus 26. There are blessings and curses. Blessings come and rewards come from obedience. But we want to be careful not to manipulate our kids um, to have the proper outward behavior. But one of the greatest blessings from obedience for our kids is 
as a reward, they're earning more trust and more additional responsibilities and more things that they can do as they've proved themselves to be trustworthy, as they've proved themselves to be listening to what we're saying and implementing it. Opportunities to stay at home alone, which, you know, be careful what you wish for because eventually you're, they're the new babysitter. It's fun at first, and then the unit kind of wears off on that. But that's fun. Opportunities to stay at home. Opportunity to have their own phone. Opportunities to get their learner's permit and to drive and to get a job and to stay out later. All of those things, as they show themselves to be obedient, we need to make sure that we are giving them more responsibility and uh, more privileges. So our discipline must be shaped by the warnings and exhortations of Scripture. Next, your discipline must be shaped by the age and condition of your child, by the age and condition of your child. So we need to be transitioning eventually from parental discipline to self-discipline. Keep the ultimate authority as Scripture. The goal of kids is, is to move them from being under your authority to directing them to being under scriptural authority and to choose to obey Scripture. Move from making decisions as they get older to, make, to giving them choices. So you want to be careful that you don't give choices too early but you also want to be careful that you do give them choices. You begin to do that so that they can see the natural consequences of making good and bad choices. Carefully that they eventually have that opportunity. Um, you're not always going to be there to hold their hand and to make those decisions for them. And so as your kids get older, you need to allow them to make some decisions, to make some bad decisions, and then pay the natural consequences of those. And on that note, you need to transition from authority to influence transition from authority to influence so there's a book called shepherding a child's heart excellent book by paul trip right paul trip ted trip one of those guys um and he has a chart in there that looks something like this you know when your kids are young you they obey because you say that they obey and as i said there's a safety element they don't need to know why they just do it you are the ultimate authority they're not making any choices and as they get older, as particularly as soon as they're 18, your authority ultimately, you no longer have that authority because they are adults. And so, but you've, you've gained influence, you know, as they've seen you model Christ-likeness, as they understand that you actually do have some wise things to say, um, eventually you have transitioned from authority to having an, an influence where they're listening to you out of wisdom. Okay, and so that, that is how this should go. So when your kid is 17, 8 years old, you need to begin letting them make some decisions on their own and then pay the natural consequences for those. Um, and then hopefully they're listening to you. So we need to transition from authority to influence. And then transition from different state to different stages of life. Discipline at different stages of life. So even infants... Even infants can begin to be trained that you are in charge, right? For example, infants often don't like to have their diapers changed, okay? So when they're arching their back, you guys know what I'm talking about, and they're screaming and they're wiggling around, they don't want you to do this, they can begin learning that you are the authority. You're beginning to condition them to listen to you. It's not punishment, and this is, you know, nothing significant, but begin to say no, bring that... that into the, their vocabulary, you can, you can hit their hand when they're not listening to you, or you can have a, a small instrument 
um, there, and you can just give them a, a light sting on their leg when they act up and when they're, sh- they're defiant against you. They need to begin to understand that you are in authority. Again, nothing significant. There's not as much that you can do. Um, but as your kids become toddlers, they are beginning to be trained to obey the first time. And it's helpful to practice obedience with them, again, to show them the right thing to do, to walk with them, to remove them from the temptation after you've told them no. Help them obey as they are learning these different instructions. They may not understand the command, but when you issue the command and then you show them the, the, what that means, now they're starting to put that together. And this should begin a mo- spanking in a more formal sense here, but again, only for very clear and direct disobedience. Um, oh, okay, especially when kids are toddlers, you know, this is gonna take a lot of time, okay? It's, it's, a, it's a very time-consuming thing as you're training them to do this. You're gonna feel that when your children are young that you spend the majority of your time doing this to teach and train and discipline your kids, and it's true. That's what you do when your kids are toddlers, but it's worth it. And this is you being faithful to what God has called you to do. And so if it feels like this is taking up the majority of your time, um, it is, you know? And so just practically speaking, guys, if you're at work and your, your wife's at home, you know, be sensitive to that. You know, temper your expectations. Remember the priority here. You know, the, the house might not look as good as it did before you had the toddler. You know, the dinner might not be as warm or it might not be ready you know, you need to temper your expectations and allow that because you as the head of the household are setting the priority. The priority is the discipline and instruction of our kids. And so keep that in mind because especially in this toddler age, this takes a lot of time to do this. Okay, next, older preschool and elementary age children. This is really a time when you should and Lord willing, you will begin to see some inroads in what you're doing. You continue as you did with toddlers to expect You trained first-time obedience. Now you're expecting first-time obedience. Training in the appropriate responses of both actions and attitudes, okay? When these are younger preschool and uh, elementary age kids. So attitudes are important as well as obedience. So the tone of voice, the body language, the rolling of the eyes, the muttering under their breath, all of those things are dishonoring. That's the attitude that goes with obedience and both of those need to be disciplined. Really focus here on, a, on addressing the heart, using scripture. You know, in those soft-hearted moments when you turn to God's word, open the word of God and read about forgiveness. Read about the fact that God loves us so much that he sent Christ to die for us. And if we put our faith, hope, and trust in him and him alone, he removes our sin. Christ took the penalty. He, he was disciplined on our behalf. Christ removes our sin as far as the east is from the west when we put our faith in him. And so you're constantly tying that back to um, the heart of your child. And then as we transition to teenage years, discipline becomes more creative. It becomes more focused on a particular child, knowing what they like and knowing what they don't like. You know, if a child really likes their phone, you know, then that's a way that you you can ground them from their phone for a certain amount of time. Some kids love video games. 
Others don't care about that. And so you need to think, you know, child to child, what's gonna be the most effective. Loss of finances or privileges. Boys in particular, you may institute, like I talked about earlier, push-ups or running or planks or something that, that they're doing. They're calming down while they're doing that and they're out of breath and you can sit and have a conversation with them. Um, Rocky Wyatt once told me um, about something he advised parents of a teen girl who was disobedient, that the, the parents should think about telling their daughter that a rebellious attitude would result in her having to wear the same outfit to school two days in a row. <laughs> and he said that took care of the problem really quick. <laughs> so it's things like that that could be helpful. But there's some child, one of your kids, you might say you're going to have to wear the same outfit two days in a row, and they'll think it's a reward. You mean, I don't have to change my clothes. I can just go to sleep in my clothes, right? And so you have to think through those things um, relative to your child. Um, as your kids get older, discipline will often become the consequences of poor and sinful decisions. As you let them kind of feel the full brunt of those consequences, obviously you're gracious and helpful, but you don't want to insulate them from those consequences, such as a speeding ticket, right? They're paying the ticket. They're paying the difference in the insurance, you know, those types of things. So they can feel the sting of that. They're not only under your authority, but they're under the authority of the government and under God's authority. We're to listen to government. If you're breaking the law, there are consequences to that, and I'm not going to help you with that. Those are the types of things as your kids get older that, that you can do to help them do that. Um, next, fifthly, and lastly, your discipline should, be, should target the heart and be shaped by the gospel. Target the heart and be shaped by the gospel. So there is a behavioral element here. We want our kids to understand that obedience leads to blessing, temporal blessing, right? The way of the transgressor is hard, according to Proverbs 13, 15. I don't want a hard life for my kid. I want them to, to grow in just how to live life in a successful way. So there's a behavioral element here, but mo mainly our, our discipline needs to target the heart. Because behavior change will flow from a changed heart, from a heart that now loves Christ. Those behaviors are going to be changing. Um, what we need to do when we encounter sin with our children is help them understand that that sinful behavior comes from a sinful heart. Like a tree bearing bad fruit, according to Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, Luke chapter 6, that behavior flows from the heart. The solution to a tree that's bearing bad fruit is not nailing good fruit to the tree. That might look good for a little bit, but it's only going to last so long and it's going to get rotten again. The solution to a tree that's bearing bad fruit is to look at the roots, fix the roots, and then when the tree is healthy, it's going to begin bearing good fruit. Good fruit is evidence of a healthy tree. Bad fruit consistently is evidence of an unhealthy tree. And so bad fruit in the lives, in, in my life, in the life of those around us, is potentially... Um, evidence that we have an unhealthy heart so how do we target the heart how do we target the heart well paul Tripp has five questions to get at the heart of your child okay and so you walk the scenario is you walk in and you see one child red in the face and screaming and his older brother sitting next to him with a truck in his hand and a guilty look on his face okay so you probably pretty much know kind of what happened but you want to ask these questions and you want to ask them in order, okay? So the first question, what happened? What's going on, okay? You're trying to gather information here. Paul says that the question is designed to simply get 
a sense of what was going on. He says, don't worry about biases. It's important to recount something. It's impossible to recount something without biases. Your child does this, and so do you. So you just want to find out what happened. And so you might hear something from the, the kid holding the truck. Bobby took my truck. He took my truck. Okay? So the follow-up question, what were you thinking and feeling when it happened? This is a, a question that gets after the heart. You, they, your child and you as well need to understand that no matter where you are, no matter what your situation is, that heart is always operating. It's always interpreting, always worshiping. You're either worshiping Christ, loving Him and loving others, or you want what you want, and if somebody gets in your way, you're going to gonna, gonna let them have it because that is a heart which you're worshiping. You're always desiring, you're always wanting something. And so the response to, response to what were you thinking and feeling when Bobby took your truck, you might get something like, I was mad. I was mad. Okay, so the next question, what did you do in response? This goes after the words and or the behavior. Um, with this question, we're teaching our children and ourselves for that matter, that the behavior and the words that come out of the situation were not formed by the situation. The response was formed by how my heart reacted to the situation. This is very important. I hit my brother and took it back. That's the response. Because I was mad, I hit my brother and took it back. The action is tied to the heart. I wanted that truck so bad that I was willing to, to hit my brother to get it back. Anger, sadness, whatever was going on in the heart was resulted in hitting my brother and taking the truck back. Fourth question, why did you do it and what were you seeking to accomplish? Why did you do it and what were you seeking to accomplish? This question gets after the motives and the goals and the purposes. Okay, so you see that we have bra bracketed the behavior with the thoughts and the motivations and interpretations and the desires of your child's heart. What did you do in response? And that's typically where we jump to. What happened? He took my truck. Well, what did you do? I did this. Okay, well, now you're getting spanked. Right? But if you, if you bracket that, what did you do in response? Well, what were you thinking and feeling? What were you seeking to accomplish? You're bracketing that behavior with heart-penetrating questions. And you may or may not get a clear answer to this, but you're, you're after something similar to, well, because I wanted my truck so bad that I didn't care about, what did I say the brother's name was? Billy or whatever. I didn't care about him. I wanted the truck. I didn't care about it being obedient to God. And so now you can connect that. Like your heart, like mine, it has a bent towards sin. And it's a, a deceitful heart. Who can understand it? The Bible says that. And so because of the sin in my heart, I am willing to lash out in anger and, and hit or do whatever because I want something so bad. And the next question is, what was the result? What happened? What was the final result? This question gets after the consequences. Because of your sinful heart, what happened? Well, my brother's hurt, and I'm in trouble. That's right. These questions allow you to tie the behavior to a sinful heart and begin to address the heart of the matter. What you need is not simply to stop hitting your brother. What you need is a heart change only found in Christ. And when you have a heart change, when you repent of your sins and you trust alone in Jesus Christ, now you have a good heart that can begin to produce some of this good behavior. These allow you to better pivot to the gospel instead of just trying to solve the behavior. Without getting at the heart, you're tempted to just kind of bark out a discipline, give a guilt trip. You know, I can't believe you did this. 
after I've told you this a hundred times, I can't believe he did this. Why can't you believe he did that? Our hearts are bent towards sin, right? And so the, this will help shape your interaction with them towards the gospel. And that's really the goal, right? That we are, our discipline is shaped by the gospel because biblical discipline is vital to your children understanding the gospel. The gospel is more than Jesus loves you. The fact is that God is the creator. He has all authority. He gives us our, our need, what we need to do, and we are to obey him. It's holy living. Sin leads to death. The discipline is vital to your children understanding the gospel. That God is in authority. He gives the commands. Understanding that sin has consequences. The ultimate consequence is that of hell for eternity. And I don't want that for you. Gives ideal context for talking to your children about the gospel. Bring them face to face with the fact that they have sinned against God. Not just their little brother, but they have sinned against God. Face to face with the fact that there are consequences to this sin. And so it, it helps us, your child, understand the gospel. Another quote from Ted Tripp says, The central focus of child rearing is to bring children to a sobering assessment of themselves as sinners. The focal point of your discipline and correction must be your children seeing their utter inability to do the things that God requires. They are not able to obey in a way that God requires. They will never be able to do that until they submit their life to Christ, unless they know the help and the strength of God. Discipline leads to the cross of Christ where sinful people are forgiven. And it is in the context of discipline that your kids will begin to see their need for the gospel. That they can't change their own sin, their own behavior. Discipline is also vital to your children experiencing the gospel. Discipline is an opportunity for them to experience grace. Grace um, does not deny that sin matters and must be dealt with. Grace is... God giving you what you don't deserve, which is forgiveness found only in Christ. Grace also says that you are loved and, expected and accepted in spite of sin. You discipline your child, and you fully embrace them, and you completely forgive them. It's modeling the compassion and grace of God, the forgiveness that, that he will bring when we submit to him. Tim Chester says, grace does not mean, doesn't mean no discipline. Instead, it changes the way we discipline. We combine discipline with love and acceptance. We discipline our children and point to the forgiveness won at the cross. And that's what this is. Every one of these encounters is a rescue opportunity. It's an opportunity that God has given us as parents to present the good news of Jesus Christ to our kids. And discipline allows us to, to help them experience the gospel. And last, Biblical discipline is vital to your children embracing the gospel. If your child has a foolish heart, they're never going to embrace the gospel. If your child will not submit themselves to authority, they're not going to embrace the gospel. The foolish, prideful heart that's never brought, come face to face with the fact that they have sinned against a holy God won't embrace the gospel. And so... Just a few things to think about here. You know, maybe you're sitting through this and you've done it incorrectly, you know? What do you do? What do you do if this hasn't exemplified your life? Well, you repent and you ask God's forgiveness for, for your sin. You might need to ask your kids for forgiveness because you have done this incorrectly. You might need to explain to your kids, you know, if you have been used to counting to three 
That's just the, your, the, the way that you've operated. I'm going to count to three and you have to do this. And you're, now you're seeing, well, that's just training them to disobey. You're going to need to go to them and say, hey, this is how we have done it. And this is how we're, what we're going to do from here on. And here's why. Because I need you to obey me the first time every time. And then you're going to have to be, you're, implementing this is going to be hard. And so you're going to have to be very patient. You know, for a couple of weeks, you're going to have to remind them. Now, remember, I used to count to three. I used to give you rewards. I used to do this other step. We're not doing that anymore. Remember, it's first-time obedience with a happy heart. And so that's how I want you to obey, okay? And then once that's caught on, then you can start implementing in your timing and your discernment some of these disciplinary measures, okay? But ultimately, guys, you know, parenting is a joy. Discipline is love in action. And we all need God's help if we're gonna do this faithfully. So let's pray and ask that he would help us. Lord God, so thankful for your grace and your kindness and your goodness. Um, Lord, I pray that as we seek to be faithful parents, Lord, and discipline our kids in a, in a way that would be helpful and beneficial, Lord, and drive them to the gospel and, and soften their heart, Lord, we understand that only you can do that. Lord, and so we pray for faithfulness on our part, Lord, and we pray for softened hearts, Lord, that the seed of the gospel that we throw would, so, would fall on softened hearts that are ready to receive it and bear fruit in the lives of our kids. In Jesus' name, amen.